Good morning, church. It's good to be together. And uh, just a little update. We had an incredible time at Shepherds Conference. Uh, the Our pastors and a few handful of lay leaders were there. And I've got, I've got to be honest, physically, I'm a little bit tired. I think there are, they are too. I mean, it's an exhausting event. I mean, I don't know, 11 sermons, bunch of seminars in between, and about 5,000 other uh, Christian leaders from around the world. So it's amazing. Some people call it the pastor's Disneyland, and so that's what it was. Uh, Grace Community Church uh, exhibited incredible hospitality as they treated us to a a wonderful time. And really their hope is to encourage the preachers of the word to go back home and be invigorated, excited to go back home. And that's exactly how I feel. Excited and so we're grateful, church, for sending us and blessing us to go. There's a little bit of the afterglow in me still, but... um, The theme of the conference was called Shepherding the Remnant. Shepherding the Remnant. The remnant, what is that? God says in his word, a remnant of Israel will be saved in the end, and a remnant of the nations will be saved. Meaning, there will be a small group in relation to everybody else who's actually going to be entering into the kingdom of heaven. The Lord says this, wide is the gate, wide is a path that leads to destruction. The Lord also says, narrows the gate, narrows a path that leads to eternal life. And many are on the wide path, the Lord says, and a few go through, enter through the narrow gate. And so this is a word of encouragement today, providentially through Mark chapter 7. And we're going to take a look at true religion and false religion. And the narrow gate represents true religion. The narrow gate is talking about the religion of God's achievement, the religion of grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way, the truth, and the life. This is a narrow way. And this is talking about the the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whereas the wide gate represents false religion, false religion, where this is a religion of human achievement. No matter what religion you think about, apart from Christianity, it's about what do I do for God? What do I do for myself? How do I keep the rules? How do I keep the law? How much am I able to compare myself and separate myself from other people? This is the religion of human achievement, where it's based upon you and me rather than the work of God. And so today, the, one of the emblems of human achievement is called legalism. This is the topic of the day today, legalism. Legalism is man's effort to earn God's favor by earning salvation through works and ceremonies. This is what legalism is. So therefore, today we're going to test ourselves. We're going to test ourselves. The Lord Jesus Christ loves His church and he calls us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Okay, so we'll be at Mark chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, I highly encourage us to open up our Bibles. Mark chapter 7, I'll be reading and preaching out of the Legacy Standard Bible. Mark chapter 7, 1 through 13. Let's rise as we read these 13 verses together. The Lord is addressing religious rulers. The the religious elite come to confront Jesus Christ today. And here he is. He responds to the scribes, the lawyers, or the experts of the law, and the Pharisees today. Mark chapter 7, 1 through 13. God's word says this. And the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem. And had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with defiled hands that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the, from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups, and pitchers, and copper pots. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with defiled hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, 
teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Leaving the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And he was also saying to him, you are good at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever you might benefit from me is Corbin. That is to say, given to God. You no longer leave him to do anything for his father or, or his mother. Thus, invalidating the word of God by your traditions, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you how you test us through your word. Thank you for your spirit, Lord. I pray your spirit will give us ears to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. As everyone gets older physically, as you get closer to 50 years old, it becomes checkup time. You know what I'm talking about, 55 plus group. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You got to take these tests, take these deeper examinations, so to speak, to make sure your, all your body parts are working well. Whereas before, I remember checking in as a junior high schooler, I think they thumped on my back a little bit, listened to my heart, are right, you good to go to play football now? Right? It's, it's not like that anymore. Well, the Lord has given us a spiritual, physical today. He's given us a diagnostic test to scan ourselves, to scan ourselves. The Word of God is going to scan us to see if there's any hint of legalism in us today. This is a good thing. The Lord loves us, and he wants to make sure we're nice and healthy, free from the disease of legalism. Okay, so today, just so we can follow along easily in the sermon, the Lord's going to give us five symptoms of legalism. Five symptoms. Okay, so there are no notes on the screen. They'll be very easy. One, two, three, four, five. We'll march down them. You'll be able to follow along fairly easily. And as we identify each symptom, examine yourselves. This is the reason why we do this. Test yourself. Take a look at yourselves to see if any of this is in you. Okay? So, symptom number one. Legalistic criticism. Legalistic criticism. Verse 1 and 2 says this, And the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem. Was this kind of a casual gathering that the Pharisees and the scribes decided to do to visit Jesus in Capernaum? No. No, 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 no. This is not a casual thing where you leave the Mount Rushmore of uh, Judaism to go to northern Israel to Capernaum. The Pharisees and the scribes were on an agenda. Who are the Pharisees, you may be asking? Maybe you're visiting us and you're not as familiar with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious elite, the religious rulers of the day. They were the Judaism, Judaism versions of the, of the experts of the day. And the scribes were experts of the law. Someone called them lawyers. So these were the religious elite, the religious experts. And verse 2 says this, And had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with defiled hands, and that is, that is unwashed. So they come up to Capernaum, they travel north to Capernaum, not just for a friendly visit, not just to check in and learn from Jesus Christ, because they hear about so many amazing things, but just like Mark 3 Two says, so that they might accuse him. They're trying to find dirt on Jesus Christ. This is what they come to do. They come with a critical eye, a legalistic critical eye to see if they could catch Jesus and saying something wrong or doing something wrong. So as they travel up, aha, they see the disciples eating with dirty hands. And what are they worried about? Are they worried about coming off coronavirus and making sure they use pre-roll and hand sanitizer? No, they're not thinking about that. They're not thinking about, are these dirty hands too, because they might get sick. This is not what they're talking about. They're talking about defiled, as Pastor Jeremy called, common. They're, they're, they're using common hands, uh, 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 unsanctified hands, who haven't gone through ceremonial washing to eat food. And this is an interesting thing that they do. This is a shorter point here. But the, the scribes and the Pharisees did come with an agenda in mind. Think to yourself, brothers and sisters. When you come across other people, other Christians, 
or even non-believers, what is the first thought that comes to mind when they don't do it just like you do it? First of all, let's address the non-believer at work. Say you go to work and a non-believer acts like a non-believer. Let's not be surprised, okay? <laughs> Let's not be surprised that a non-believer acts like a non-believer. They need grace. They need regeneration. We understand this. So let's not be surprised. Let's think more like, how can I help this person? How can I help her know and love Jesus Christ? This, is, this is, should be the mindset instead of like, ooh, who's this person? Why do they talk that way? Why do they support this agenda? Right? Non-believers are supposed to act like non-believers. But what about at church or other professing believers you come across? Do you have an eye to encourage and to build up? Or do you have a legalistic guy that says, I'm better than him. I'm more, I'm more holier than this person. All right, this is what we're talking about. This is what the Pharisees and scribes are coming to do. They weren't just coming to observe and see Jesus Christ. They're coming to condemn him. Do you condemn other brothers and sisters in your mind and your heart when they don't do exactly as you do? Right? We just came from a ceremony yesterday where they had like women preachers and things like that. Of course that's wrong. Of course that's what the Bible says. But in our hearts, if you're praying, Lord, open their eyes to the truth. Help them to understand the scriptures more. So that's point number one. Do you have a, a hint of legalism through having a critical eye? A critical eye. Let's go to the next, next uh, symptom. Symptom number two. And, and this symptom explains their legalistic eye, their legalistic critique of, of Jesus and the disciples. Symptom number two. They, do you have a legalistic conscience? A legalistic conscience. What is conscience? We use this often. And as Christians, we need to understand what conscience is. What is conscience? It's our inner guidance system. It's our inner spiritual GPS, so to speak, right? You add into your phone an address. You help something. You you find the map. You click on it. It tells you how to get to that place, right? As you're traveling to a different location that you don't know of, you you totally rely on your GPS. I mean, we've lost our way with uh, Thomas Guides and all those things. Younger people, you don't even know what that is. These are maps that says turn to E5 and all this stuff, and... I kind of forgot. I mean, early on in my recruiting days, I'm at a AAA getting all these big maps, trying to recruit Bakersfield and Stockton and all this place, places I've never been to. Now you just plug it in and it takes you right to the high school. Well, that's what our consciences are. It's our inner GPS. And this is the issue here as we read verse 3 and 4, where Jesus gives us a spiritual x-ray into the conscience of the Pharisees and the scribes. Verse 3 says this, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash themselves. See, they have a program with a set of traditions. And so what you believe to be right and wrong in your conscience will guide you. That's the point, that you're literally plugging in that address into your inner being, into your inner conscience, and this is going to guide your attitudes. It's going to guide your values. It's going to guide how you look at other people as well. What is right and wrong? And the Pharisees and scribes had a distinct conscience, a legalistic conscience. And the issue is this, out of verse 3, this one phrase, the tradition of the elders, the tradition of the elders the commandment of men, the commandment of men, the traditions. This type of concept shows up six times in these 13 verses. It's all about the tradition of the elders. This is the central issue. And how the tradition of the elders in the Jewish day happened is they, they, they started having oral traditions. They would basically make interpretations of the Old Testament, particularly where Moses is writing the law, and apply it to themselves. And because they were so intent on not violating those laws, they set up huge guardrails from even getting close to violating those laws. So if you're driving up uh, through your GPS and you're going through the mountains where there's a big cliff, 
There's usually guardrails that keep you from at least falling off without hitting the guardrail. Well, with the Jews of the day, the, the leaders of the day moved in the guardrails from off the edge and made a very narrow path for people to walk through and, and to live. You couldn't go left or right. You had to go down that guardrail that was been set up by the religious elite. I mean, talking about washing of hands in Leviticus 22 and Exodus 30, the washing of hands, the washing of hands, they had a special way to do it, was meant for the priests when they would enter into the temple or enter into the tabernacle of God. And so what the Pharisees and the scribes eventually were doing in their oral tradition was to apply that, and since it's good for the priests, let's apply that for everybody. That's what happened. They went beyond the word of God. And eventually, the oral traditions were recorded into a book called the Mishnah, which is about, I have a copy on my desk, which is about this thick, all right, about 180 years or so after the time of Christ, and they finally compiled the oral traditions, and they wrote it all down to, to make sure that everyone was living according to the tradition of man or tradition of the elders. This is what happened. And these guardrails, if you, as I studied it more, start off pretty good with the intent, and the origin was good. The, the religious rulers wanted to keep the people safe from sinning. That's a good thing, right? I mean, that's a good intent. But as time changed, they kept the rules the same. As circumstances changed, they kept it the same. And the guardrails or the traditions became the standard. Not, God's word did not become the standard. The, the men of the, uh, of the tradition, the elders who set up these traditions, raised up the standards. They made the, the standards even higher than what God requires. This is legalism. This is legalism. And this is the type of conscience that the Pharisees and the scribes owned. They had a legalistic conscience. In our day, we have many good policies, principles to live by. That's wonderful. You know, we, we have some, some, one, some of my principles or personal principles. This is an extra biblical, but some of the principles that Charlotte and I live by is that we're not in a car or in a room with someone of the opposite sex. We don't generally email or text people uh, of the opposite gender on our own, generally. I mean, there's emergencies and things like that that come up, but we don't do that. That's a principle that we decide to live by just to guard ourselves. We, we put in the guardrails a little bit tighter to protect our marriage, right? And so some of these things may be good, you know, they may, in the intent... Is, is to guard our marriage, guard our family, guard the witness. But not everyone has the same issues as we do, correct? I mean, can you think of any other traditions that we've set up, any guardrails that we've set up that's become law in some ways? As I think about the church, couple, a handful come to mind. Perhaps others, the Spirit will bring others, other things into your mind. I mean, I mean, perhaps you have a gambling problem or you come out of a, a, a culture of gambling, Maybe you have a principle where I'm never going to Las Vegas. I'm never going to step foot into an Indian casino, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I can't go to that buffet because i got to walk through the casino. That might be a principle that you have. Maybe you, have, you come from a, a partying culture or a drinking culture. And so he said, no alcohol, never. I'm never going to step foot in a bar. These might be good principles to help. But let's just keep in mind, church, not everybody has the same issues that you and I do. And that, that's, that's the key here. And so this is the conscience that the Pharisees and the scribes had. That was their spiritual GPS system that told them what to do and told them what to look for in other people, not just in themselves. And so this is where we need to really examine ourselves. Principles may be good, but really examine, is this biblical or extra-biblical? And if it's biblical, we're all bound to that. Our, all our conscience is to be informed and bound with the Bible, what the Bible has to say. But if you want to take an extra biblical uh, uh, principle and bring in the rails even closer for yourself, no, that's good for you. It may not be good for others. Okay, so let's examine ourselves, church, to see if this is of the Lord or not. Okay, so let's go to our third symptom here. Third symptom, if you have a 
legalistic conscience. You may have this third symptom that shows up in life as a legalistic, uh, have legalistic control, legalistic control over others, legalistic control. We had conscience, now we had control. Verse 5, let's see what happens here in verse 5. Uh, get your eyes on verse, uh, verse 5 here. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him. They see their consciences are pricked, so now they move. And they asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But eat their bread with defiled or common hands. Control, control. This is what the issue was about for the Pharisees and the scribes. They wanted the control of the people. This is it. Whoever has the control, whoever has the, the, the rules, whoever's holding the pen last, we should joke around in coaching because whatever play you put up, whoever has the pen last could offset that. Whoever has the pen last is the one with the controls. So right here, the, 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 the legalists, the Pharisees and scribes, where their consciences bound by their own principles are trying to bind up other people's consciences with what they believe. Loading up the wagon with extra biblical commands, right? They're trying to manipulate other people and they're trying to manipulate Jesus and the disciples. Others will go along with this. But they come across Jesus this time and this is what Matthew 23 verse 4 says, and, and they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders men's shoulders. See, legalism is be, uh, holding to a strict outward conformity to morals and religious practices, and you actually expect others to live by them. Extra biblical standards, and you try to impose them upon other people. Meaning, if you don't live this way, you're an unfaithful Christian. It isn't like, okay, this might be a wise thing for you to do. Consider it. That's different. That's just giving good brotherly, sisterly advice to somebody. But if you say, or else you'll be unfaithful, that takes a whole different turn, doesn't it? This is what the Pharisees were doing to Jesus and the disciples. They wanted to control them. They wanted to control them. They wanted to secure their power. They wanted to have Jesus and disciples come underneath them, particularly because the rise of popularity with Christ. I mean, they said, we need him on our side. We need him on our side. We want him on our side. Well, this is where Christ is the head of the church. At Evergreen Baptist Church, if you're a guest, the Bible rules the church here. The Bible rules every single Christian here. And Christ, meaning he is the head, that means he is the supreme authority. He also owns the church. How does he lead today? Well, he leads through the Bible. This is why we spend so much time reading the Bible. This is why we spend so much time preaching the Bible. This is why we spend so much time and resources educating and teaching in the Bible during our ace hour. The Bible. The more Bible that we know, the more we know the head of the church. We know him through his word. So are there any principles that come to mind right now, church? Anything that comes to mind where you demand this upon other people. Maybe you're weighing heavy burdens upon other people. Maybe someone you're trying to evangelize sees like, okay, this is what it means to be a Christian. There's no way I could do that. There's no way I could keep up with that. Think through this, church. Where might you be imposing extra biblical things upon other people. Could be how you talk to people. Instead of saying, hey, why are you doing that? That's wrong. Help me to understand why you don't do it like this. There's different ways to approach other people, particularly other Christians in the body. This doesn't mean we never approach anyone and we never talk to people about, about living a more wise, more efficient way. I, I, nothing wrong with that. But when you make it the law, when you make it at God's standard, that's when it becomes a problem. That's when it becomes a problem. Let's go to our fourth symptom here. Legalism. Legalism. Legalistic criticisms. Legalistic conscience. Right? These are the things that we're talking about. 
Now, fourthly, we're talking about legalistic con artist. This is a rebuke here. This is a rebuke. Uh, Brother uh, Keith read Isaiah 29, and it was a rebuke against the nation of Israel. And Jesus quotes Isaiah 29, 13, and rebukes the Pharisees of the day. In verse 6, says this, And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, you hypocrites, as it is written, the pe- this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Hypocrites. He calls them, you hypocrites. This word hypocrite in the original language in the Greek talks about someone who wears masks, someone who puts on a show, an actor. Acting was a big deal. The stage was a big deal. The- the- the theater was a big deal. This is talking about someone who puts on a mask, someone who pretends, an actor. An actor going through life. You actors. You phonies. This is what the Lord is calling the Pharisees here. You're a bunch of con artists. Isaiah 29, 13. The people honor me, honors me with their lips. You give me lip service. You're saying the right things. You're singing the right things. But your hearts are far from me. It's all external. The Lord is saying, this is all for show, what you're doing, Pharisees. Legalists, this is all just for show. And the Lord explains more in Matthew 23, 5 through 7. He says, Matthew 23, 5 through 7, he says, but they do all their deeds, talk about the Pharisees, to be noticed by men. To be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments, their clothing, and they love the place of honor. They love to be noticed by men and they love the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues. And they love the respectful greetings in the marketplaces being called rabbi by men. So this is the issue here where a legalist is a con artist. A legalist is all for show. And what is the root of legalism? It's the fear of man. Jesus hits the nail on the head in Matthew 23. Basically, you do it to be seen. You do it to impress people. You do it because if you don't, you're going to lose your rankings. You're going to be brought down from varsity to junior varsity. Okay, this is what the Lord is saying. You do it to be seen. You do it out of the fear of man, not fear of the Lord. I mean, is that us today? As we attend the Lord's Day service, are we on autopilot? I mean, I'm so concerned about how we take the Lord's Supper. That's why we take time explaining the seriousness of the Lord's Supper, which we took last week. So I talk to my own family, hey, are you preparing to take the Lord's Supper this week? Likewise, are you preparing to enter into service with the right mind and right heart? That's why Pastor Jeremy says, all right, let's quiet ourselves before the call to worship. Really, service with with all those announcements, in our minds as pastors, service hasn't begun yet at that point. That's good things that we need to get done, good things to administrate and to organize our church. But when the pastor, particularly today, Pastor Jeremy said, okay, let's quiet ourselves. Let's eliminate distractions. Let's get locked in on the Lord. This is why we're here for that's when service begins. But really, the preparation for that began last night and throughout the week. I mean, even last night for me, admittedly, I had to repent and apologize to my own family because I got all out of sorts. I was all bound up with other things. I, I need, I, in my mind, I need to get ready for the Lord's Day. I need to reconcile and to make sure things were right before I woke up the next morning, before I went to bed, actually. So are you on autopilot right now? Are you just sitting there because your wife wants you to be there or your your kids are begging you to be there? Kids, are you here just because your parents make you come, right? I mean, this this is what you call cruise control. Autopilot, you're here, but you're really not here. Pray do when, when when we have more lengthier prayers when Pastor Jeremy or other pastors are praying and we're interceding for the church and for the world and other things and thanking God for the truth in the scriptures. Are you are you following along? And so, so so that when you say Amen, you actually mean it. I agree. I Amen says yes. I agree with him. 
So when we pray, follow along so that if you do say amen, you actually mean it. Yes, Lord, I co-sign on that prayer. Right? When we sing, this is why the words are so important to us. Thinking about the words that are being sung to one another and to the Lord. The words, the truth. Hypocrisy. I just want to just point out something how damaging hypocrisy is for leadership. Gentlemen, listen up. This is important. We're called to lead our homes. We're called to lead the church. Hypocrisy is the death kiss to your leadership. If you're one person at church and then another person at home, that's a problem. That's going to destroy and dissolve your leadership. The people in your home and the people that follow you may be kind and just go along with what you do, but really, deep inside, it's not real. Hypocrisy, being a con artist, is what dissolves your leadership as a man in your home and at the church. As we're moving towards eldership, God willing, in a short time, this is what the, the church needs to see, that the men are loving and caring for the church and their homes. This what needs to be displayed. This what needs to be evident for everyone as part of our church. Right? We're leading with truth in love. It was a saying a coach said to me one time, I think in high school, you are who you are when no one is watching, right? It's easy to start working out when, when the coach and the teammates are there, but who are you by yourself? When there are no teammates, are you dieting properly? Are you watching the right things? Are you reading the right things? Are you training like how you should? As an athlete, a serious athlete does this. You are who you are when no one is watching. And so the genuineness of the leader at home, at the church, is critical. And so when you do stumble, by God's grace, by the Spirit, repent. Repent. Own what you did was wrong. And make it right with you and the Lord and others and move on. If there's a crazy thoughts that go into your mind, let your conscience be so pricked that you're not even willing to entertain those thoughts in your mind. Regardless, let alone what you say or what you do, it's on your minds, gentlemen. Leadership begins by conquering yourself first before you could help anyone along. Conquer yourself by God's Spirit. Yield. Bow down to God's Spirit and His Word. Practice obeying Him in the very little things every day. This is what we're talking about. Brothers, you may be thinking, okay, you're going to coach mode, and I am. This is what you, this is what you brought in as a, as a pastor. But yet, understand this. This comes because I love you, I care, I'm not perfect, I haven't arrived, ask my wife, ask my kids. But there's no room for hypocrisy in our leadership. There's no room. Genuineness, not perfection, genuineness is what our people require, want from us. Amen? All right, let's go to our fifth and final symptom here. Legalistic compromise. Legalistic compromise. Compromise. Legalistic compromise. This, I'm taking the whole chunk out of 7 through uh, 13 on this portion, but let me just read verse 7, 8, and 9 here. But in vain do they worship me. Fake worship, meaningless worship, empty worship, hollow worship. Teaching as, what is the issue? Teaching as doctrines, the commands of men. You want empty worship? Do it man's way. Look what he goes on to say, the Lord. Leaving the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men, verse 8 says. Verse 9, and he was also saying to them, you are good, you're experts. You've perfected the art of setting aside the commandment of God. Why? In order to keep your tradition. Compromise. Compromise, and this is what the Pharisees and the scribes are doing. They're elevating their ideas above God's. And Warren Wearsby writes, 
Rabbi Eliezer said, he who expounds the scriptures in opposition, the word of God, who expounds the scriptures in opposition to the to the tradition, has no share in the world to come. Do you hear what he, this rabbi says? In other words, Rabbi Eliezer saying is this, if God's word takes precedence over the traditions of the elders, you have no place in eternity. You're not going to heaven, in other words. That's how much they elevated the, the, the tradition of man over God's word. Let me quote the Mishnah. The Mishnah states, It is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict Scripture itself. Meaning, there it is again, power. The Mishnah says that it is a greater offense to go against man's teachings versus what the Bible says. That's it backwards. That's what you call a compromise. That's what you call a compromise. And why did they do this? Why? Why? You were thinking, who would ever do such a thing? Well, be careful before we make that judgment. Why did they do this? Well, just to understand the psyche of the, the Pharisees and the scribes, I think they did it because of this. Romans 3.12 says, there is none who does good. There is not even one. Right? Meaning, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the illegalist cannot live with himself because he knows he doesn't keep the law. A legalist knows he needs to reconcile the, the disparity of his life and what he believes. The legalist needs to accommodate his hypocrisy. Therefore, he rationalizes it. He rationalizes things to get rid of the word of God. And here's an example out of verse 10, how they do it. The Lord uses the fifth commandment here out of the Ten Commandments, verse 10. For Moses said, Matthew says, For God said, honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and mother. And it was so serious of an indictment if you didn't honor your father and mother. It goes on to say, he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. Right? It's such a serious thing to honor your father and mother. And in this instance, what was taking place is that honoring your father and mother means to take care of your aging father or mother. Not only does it mean young children obey your mother and father and mother, it means older children take care of your aging father and mother. And how do they get a legalistic loophole around this command, the fifth command of the Lord? Well, verse 11, it says this, but you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever you might benefit from me is Corbin. What is that? Corbin. Whatever you might benefit from me is Corbin. In other words, I can't help you guys, mom and dad, because it's Corbin. I set it aside to give to God someday. Therefore, I cannot spend it on you today because when I die, it's going to go to God. It's kind of like deferred giving, if that makes sense today. It's deferred giving. All right? This is what the, the, the legalists, the Pharisees, they create this loophole to not take care of their mother and father and they rationalize not obeying God's word by saying, making a spiritualized rule, I'm going to give this to God someday so I can't spend it on you, dad, on mom. I'm sorry, I wish I could. In verse 13, it goes on, finishes up with saying, thus, invalidating the word of God by your tradition, disarming the authority of God's word, in other words, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And the Lord goes on to say, and you do many things such as that. Corbin is just one thing. There are many other things that you do. See, these men were usurping God's authority. That's why at Evergreen, we need to make sure what we do, we very clear that it comes from the scriptures. Any pastor or any future elder has no special authority over the church other than what the word of God says. 
We may give our opinions, we may give our preferences, we may give some wisdoms, some helpful application, but the Word of God is supreme over our lives. We sit under God's Word, all of us. But you may be thinking, who would do such a thing? Who would do Corbin and not take care of their parents today? That's just crazy. Those guys back then, they, didn't, they were just so corrupt. Well, what type of Corbin's coming to your come into mind right now in your heart? What kind of loopholes have you set up in your heart to rationalize not obeying God's word? I have a couple here that might help. I don't know if I'm going to hit everybody. You may not, you may not be able to relate to these, but here's a, a handful that may help. One Corbin that I've seen in the church is peacekeeping. Peacekeeping. What does that mean? That means I want to maintain peace and have no conflict with anyone in the church. Therefore, when I see sin happening, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to ignore the holiness of the bride of Christ because I want to maintain peace. Surely that is pleasing to God if I maintain peace. Maybe that happens in the home. Let's maintain peace so that no one sees us fighting, so that there's no arguments so that we could kind of exist peacefully with one another. That's Corbin. When the Bible says, speak the truth in love, when the Bible says, bear one of those burdens, we know what the Bible says to help each other. How about this one? God wants me to be happy. Therefore, I don't have to be faithful to my spouse. God wants me to be happy. Therefore, I could fudge a little bit in my work and do as the culture says to do so that I could keep advancing in my career. God wants me to be happy. That's Corbin. That's Corbin. A very common Corbin that's spoken sometimes matter-of-factly. I'm going to leave my husband because God wants me to be happy. What? Is he abusing you? No. Is he being unfaithful to you? No. I just lost touch. God wants me to be happy. That's Corbin. How about this finally? Let's focus in the family. Family first. Family first. So I'm going I'm to build a huge uh, guardrails and make that, that time and that sacrifice really narrow because it's family first. There's a lot of margin yeah, fa- family is our first ministry, amen. But it's not at all our ministry. I mean, it's nice to have some guardrails, but how narrow do you take that guardrail? Family first. I think this has been a hard word, a hard message. Um, the last couple, you know, Jesus walking on the storm, there's been a lot of uplifting uh, themes there, praise God, but this is a hard message. My mentors tell me soft preaching, soft messages makes a hard heart. And hard preaching or or challenging preaching softens the heart, right, for every Christian. That's what the Lord does. So as long as we receive this with an open heart, the Lord loves us. What a privilege it is to read the scriptures and to preach you this message. I want to just say this. I think if you're honest with ourselves, I think we're all of us are honest with ourselves. We could find legalistic tendencies in all of us, right? So you could be a you are a redeemed man, you're a redeemed woman, but you see these old these hints of legalism in your hearts. Well, praise God that perhaps the Lord revealed them to you today through the preaching of His Word. Repent. Repent of these things. There's no room for this. Let's understand grace more. And perhaps you are sitting here today thinking you're a Christian. You think you're a saved person, but you realize that Jesus is talking about you today. And you have legalistic hopes. Meaning, you believe by attending church not watching certain things, obeying some commands are going to save you. You actually believe that. 
In no unclear terms, if you believe that, I want to be very clear. You're not a saved person. You have bought into the wide road, the wide gate that leads to destruction, the religion of human achievement. Now say this because I really want you to really think about this and consider who is Jesus Christ? The Bible says all of us like sheep have gone astray. Every single one of us. There's no way, even if you believe this, that you could look yourself in the eye and say, yeah, I've lived perfectly. There's no way. The Lord requires perfection to be with him in heaven forever. So if you're honest with yourself, you know you've fallen short, just like the Pharisees knew. So perhaps you set up a bunch of loopholes so you could psychologically deal with these things. The Bible says all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments, filthy rags. There's nothing we could do to merit salvation. There's nothing we could do to merit favor with God. Nothing. And I remember going over this a little bit with our family last night. One of them asked, well, we learned a lot about legalism. He didn't say that, but he he asked, what are we going to learn about God? Because I don't want you to leave thinking, okay, I learned about what not to be. All right? That's called moralism. We're not moralists. We're Christians. So what are we learning about God? This is the other side of the moon, guys. Meaning, when we understand how dark it is on the other side of the moon, how dark legalism is, how hopeless legalism is, how dangerous legalism is, how destructive legalism is, how graceless legalism is. When we come to the other side of the moon where the, where the sun shines upon the moon, we see the brightness of it. We need to see the dark inside of legalism to understand the bright, loving grace of our God. So this is why the Lord has us understanding legalism better so that we can understand and appreciate and embrace the greatness of God's love and mercy for his people, his remnant. I mean, this is called the religion of grace. So if you are sitting here thinking, all right, I don't cut it, that's how I felt. Growing up as a boy, I attended Seventh-day Adventist school, Seventh-day Adventist church sometimes, service sometimes on a Saturday. And what I remember, guys, is this. I'm talking to you if you're not a Christian. I could understand what you might be feeling right now. I remember there's no way I could keep up with this these food rules. Everything we eat at home is not on that list. You know, I'm going to die. You know, this is not going to work out. Saturdays have the best TV shows and the best sports. How, how can I not watch TV until sunset on Saturday night? As a tr- boy, I wrestle with these things. I, I believe this is how you please God. I got to keep the rules. I can't eat the wrong. I can't eat the pepperoni pizza that's in my refrigerator right now, and I'm starving. I can't watch the Lakers and the Trojans. What in the world? Every time I would bite, every time I turn on that television, I just felt like I'm not cut out for this. And maybe that's how you're feeling about Christianity. Like you think it's a bunch of rules. That's way. That's where one day a friend of mine who talked to me about grace, how Jesus Christ. God himself lived the perfect life, died, died on the cross to pay for my sins. He lived the perfect life. I could, I cannot. And he died and rose again. And if you put your trust in him and receive forgiveness as a free gift, not an earned gift, but a free gift, and turn from your sins and follow him, repent of your sins and follow him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. It's like this 10 million pound backpack was lifted off my back. It just made sense to me. He's right. I can't do it. Jesus can do it. He has done it. And if that's you today, that's that's true religion, that God has accomplished a work for you and me. Amen? We have a, final song coming up here and before I pray I just want to go over some of the lyrics I'm really I'm trying to shepherd our church and when we sing 
We don't want to sing with lips that are far from God, right? Particularly if you're a Christian, you're singing. Our hearts need to be in it. So when you sing these words, let that just meditate and burrow down into your heart. We're going to be, our last song that we're going to sing, we have two more songs. Our last song is called His Mercy is More. It goes like this. Well, love could remember no wrongs we have done. That's grace. Omniscient, unknowing, he counts not their sum. God knows everything. He knows what's in your heart. He doesn't count your sin against you. And he separates our sin, our guilt from us, thrown into a sea without bottom or shore forever, as far as the east from the west. Our sins, there are many. His mercy is more. So let's sing. Let's prepare our hearts to sing. I'm going to pray right now. Let our music leaders come up when I pray. Let's just pray with our hearts, not just with our lips. And let's offer worship to the Lord and let's encourage one another through song. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word on legalism. Lord Jesus, you are so kind. You weren't worried about offending people, Lord. You were worried about loving on people and being true to the Father. Thank you, uh, this word of legalism, Lord. And I pray, Father, for the brothers and sisters in here who we oftentimes touch legalism. I pray, Lord, that we would be more aware of these things. I pray, Father, that you would test our convictions or consciences with the word of God so that where we know is what you require of us, what you call us to do, is what you command us to do. Help us to separate what's what you say versus what is the tradition set up in our own hearts. Father, help us to deal graciously with one another. And as we know, there are different stages of growth in all of us. We're on the road of sanctification in different ways, different places. Help us to be gracious to one another. Father, when we come across a non-believer, particularly in this day and age when there are depraved things being said and spoken and unfit things being said and spoken, help us to be compassionate, knowing that we were once in that darkened condition. Knowing that we were all like sheep who have gone astray, help us to have compassion for the lost. Help us to see them not as enemies, but the mission field to love and to, to lead them to you, Lord. So, Father, thank you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to deepen our understanding of grace and mercy that you've shown us. That you, Father, will send your one and only Son to save a remnant to be with your Son forever, the church. So thank you, Father, for this time to preach your word. I pray, Father, that you would really generate incredible worship in our hearts as the truth of who you are and what you've done for us just gets stirred up and illuminated in our hearts and minds. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.